morning. Well, <clears throat> I have to tell you a story. Sometimes over in, as we prepare our hearts this morning to receive the offering, um, sometimes over in children's ministry, a $20 bill or a $10 bill will show up in the Sunday school offering. And I'm sad to say that my first response is usually, I hope the mom knows about this. But I do know in two instances what really happened. One was a little girl who had received a monetary gift, either for her birthday or Christmas, I can't remember now. <clears throat> but she decided she wanted to give her gift to Jesus. And secondly, a little boy was actually tithing on his, on his allowance. And I learned something from these two children that I so want to have that childlike faith and heart that trusts in my provider. I want to have a generous heart. You know, generosity is not about quantity. It's about sacrifice. It's having a willingness, a, a heart of willingness to give what we have, <clears throat> just like these children did, just like the widow did in Mark 12. Jesus said that her offering was more generous, her two little coins, than all that the rich people gave because she gave out of her need and they gave out of their abundance. So that's what having a generous heart is. I want that. I want that because I want to give back to the one who gave everything. Second Corinthians 9 verse 10 says this, for God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and the bread for the table. And he will provide and increase your resources so that then you may produce a great harvest of generosity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to give to you. Thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to give to your church. I praise you, Lord, that <clears throat> I know that every time we give, Lord, your Holy Spirit wants to speak personally to each of us. And I pray this morning that you would show us um, personally what it means to have a generous heart, Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us that trust like these two little children, like this widow, that you are our provider. Lord, bless this offering. Use it mightily for your kingdom and bless each person here in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Lynn. Well, it is such a good day today because we get to start off the week like this. And one of the things I wanted to communicate to you is, and some of you already know, is that one of our elders, Doris Aoki, uh, passed away uh, the other week. And so she went home to be with the Lord. But this afternoon, we're going to be honoring her and uh, just celebrating her life at 2 o'clock here in our sanctuary. So if you wanted to come back and, and pay respects to the family, you can do so. And, and Doris Aoki has been here from the very beginning of the birth of this church. So we wanted to uh, do that for her. And we just celebrated her 100th birthday uh, in December. So we, we, we got to uh, be a part of someone's life, uh, someone as special as Doris. And today we get to uh, celebrate her life uh, this afternoon. So just wanted to give you a heads up in case any of you were wondering. Uh, but also today we're, we're continuing in our series, His Kingdom, His Wisdom. So you can take out your notes with me or your, uh, your church app. And although we'll be having a guest speaker today, what I'm so thankful for is that God kept us safe to come up here. So Pastor A.J. Swoboda is going to be talking about this one word that you and I may uh, have heard before. And it's about the Sabbath. Because so, so many of us have... Hi. McBrainy! Excuse me! Hi! 
What a surprise! It is so good to see you. My goodness. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's, it's been good a long to see time you. since yes, I've seen you. It's been a while. I know. It's a jug of It's been a long time because I thought the church moved. Oh. Well, what would make you think the church moved? Well, I got I mean, this uh, anonymous letter, and it said that the church relocated. I, I oh. don't know. <laughs> Who would oh. do that? I mean, that's kind of that's kind of weird. And someone know, anonymously anyway, would send I you a the, the church move, like the whole building and property. That's Silly. so funny. I know. Yeah, well, I'm glad you found I'm us. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. I'm you're, ready. Good. I'm glad you're ready. We're taking out our notes, and we're gonna. Okay, what good. are you ready for? What do you mean? What well, are you ready? Well, you said you had a guest speaker, so here I am. <laughs> right. No, no. We, we have a guest speaker. I didn't. I yes, and I worked really no, I hard on my message. You. I stayed up for like 83 and a half hours. I didn't sleep a wink, and I'm so ready now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. amazing. I, Is, are I, you in your pajamas? Uh, okay, well, I'm really prepared. And so and what I did boots. was I, um, I have my coffee. So That's I your have, coffee. Well, it's a... It's a quadruple shot espresso with an extra shot of sugar and uh, wow. I save time by working in my sleep clothes and then not sleeping okay. and so you see how I, I, I save time there but yeah. Yeah. so anyway I got my but message it's called Subvers subversive Sabbath the surprising power of rest in a non-stop world you know Sabbath comes from the Latin word sabbatum that actually means to rest because not enough people take time to yeah pastor AJ is going to speak about that the same thing that you're <laughs> McBrainy. Woo! McBrainy! Falange! <laughs> Falange! Something's wrong with the left Falange! Right. Get off the plane! Okay, uh, are you alright? Are you okay? Do you need yeah. rest? You, I think you you need rest. I think you're right. right. Yeah. I think you're right. I'm so, so sorry. Thank you for being here, but thank you for studying for the 83 and a half hours straight. All right. Well, you um, know, I'm going to give my notes to that nice gentleman over here. He looks like a nice boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, go give but, me uh, so thank you so much. Just one more thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, phalange is a real word. It's actually the bones in your fingers and your toes. We generally have three phalanges in each digit, except for the big toe and the thumb. <laughs> I just you awesome. might want to research it. Thank you for sharing oh, that. I really appreciate you sharing with me. You know, about phalanges, it's very important for us to know. doesn't even let me speak. I know you're a nice boy too, aren't you? Yeah, he's a good, good boy. So ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome up with me Pastor AJ Swoboda as he comes and shares. He's from Portland, Oregon, so he flew all the way here to the beautiful island of Hawaii. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Grace and peace. Oh, Anella has a, a wonderful gift for you. Oh, bless you. Yes. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Aloha. It's great to be with you this morning, and I brought a gift. Uh, I get, brought a gift uh, to you, and that is, um, <clears throat> I'm from Portland. I brought all this rain just as a gift to you, and I hope you can enjoy it. And um, thank you, <clears throat> Pastor Sheldon and, and the team for having me. What a joy to be together this morning and worship the Lord together. Is it? Amen. Amen. Well, I had the chance yesterday. <clears throat> brought my wife and my son. And my, uh, my parents are actually here as well. They're going to be at the 11 o'clock gathering. Because uh, usually whenever I get invited to speak in Hawaii, my, my policy is I'll say yes to it. Um, <laughs> Any time. Um, but I, I had the chance to go to uh, breakfast yesterday. And for the first time in my life, uh, I had spam. <laughs> I had the Locomocosaurus at the, uh, at the uh, Hawaiian-style cafe. And um, I've been sleeping for 24 hours. 
Oh my goodness, what a treat. And it's a joy to be with you. And, um, and as we worship the Lord together, uh, I want to invite you, if I could, to open up your Bibles. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 20. If you have a copy of the scripture or if you have the app, uh, if you want to look online, you can go there uh, as well. I want to tell you the story of two different vets. Um, this morning, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about this idea that I think, honestly, followers of Jesus have forgotten about. And that is, I want to talk about this beautiful idea in the Bible called rest, Sabbath. <clears throat> the, my grandparents, um, I have three grandfathers who fought uh, in World War II. Uh, my uh, grandfather, Frank, uh, was uh, a, a vet in World War II. I was actually a, an airplane pilot. In fact, my grandfather, Frank, um, it's believed was the guy who flew Himmler, who was one of Adolf Hitler's right-hand men, uh, to the Nuremberg trials right after the war ended. Uh, my grandfather, Frank, was an airplane pilot. My grandfather, Rudy, uh, fought uh, on the island of Iwo Jima. Uh, and then my step-grandfather, Grandpa Tex, uh, interestingly enough, was actually uh, uh, um, drafted to play in the NBA. He was drafted by the Chicago Bulls. And when the war began, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, my grandfather had to make a decision whether he was going to play in the NBA or go fight in the war. And my grandfather, like so many in his generation, gave up his dreams, his life, to go and fight in World War II. In fact, he was on a little transport boat near the end of the war, and a bomb hit the transport boat and threw him off of the boat, and he lost basically the right side of his face. He couldn't hear for the rest of his life before passing away about five years ago. Now, when you look at World War II, when World War II happened, uh, in this ge whole generation of people um, that, that fought in that war, when they came back from the war, uh, right, when the war ended, when World War II was finally over, all these, these men, women came back from the war. And when they came back, there was this sense of just cultural joy, like we had beaten evil, right? Hitler was dead. He was gone. The war was over. And when they came back, they were so happy that we literally have a whole generation named after their happiness. It's called the baby boomers. <laughs> they came back and just had kids, a lot of them, right? And there was a sense of just joy. We had won. There was happiness. When you contrast World War II to Vietnam, it's a very different experience because when the Vietnam War ended and the men went and fought in Vietnam and then came back, it was a very different experience. Uh, people that I know that fought in Vietnam said that when they came back, that the country, the nation was just destroyed. We were, we were almost felt like, like we had taken a punch to the gut, like we, we, we lost hope and a sense of self. In fact, uh, PTSD rates were really high during, world, uh, during, during Vietnam, not during World War II, but during Vietnam. Uh, men came back in high rates of abuse and drug abuse, and our country was depressed. In fact, my stepfather, when he came back from Vietnam, recalls being in an airport and people spitting on him as he walked through the airport. And you look at these two wars and you go, what is different between these two wars? And there certainly was a lot that was different. I was talking to a guy who was a, who was a military historian, and he was telling me that they have a theory. 
And the theory between the well-being of the Vietnam vets and the World War II vets is that there's one thing that was different, one major thing that was different. You see, when World War II ended, the men didn't get on planes and fly back like in Vietnam. Because in Vietnam, when the war ended, the men got on planes, they flew home, and literally would go from being on the battlefield to being in their living room within like 48 hours. There was no time or space. They would get on planes and come home. But in World War II, that's not what happened, is it? Because when World War II ended, all the soldiers, what did they do? They didn't fly home. What did they do? They got in these big boats and they crossed the Atlantic for months. Well, what do you do when you're on a boat for months with other brothers? You tell stories, you cry, you weep, you grieve. And this guy was saying, literally, the difference between the two kinds of vets was that one had the time to process and one did not. And friends, when I look in our culture, honestly, that is a metaphor for our time. We are a culture that does not know how to stop and breathe and be. When they asked me to come and speak in Hawaii about the Sabbath, I was like, there's no, nobody in Hawaii needs to hear about the Sabbath. This is like where you come to rest. And he was like, that's the problem. Everybody thinks it's restful, but this is one of the most overworked places in the world. Right? Let's talk about what this means to be rested because I think, honestly, could you be honest with me this morning? Would you be willing, on some level, would you agree, I'm exhausted. Would you just raise your hand? If you, and even the ones that can't raise their hand, they're too exhausted to raise their hand. <laughs> they're just like, I can't even give my arm up, right? Everybody's tired. I think God has a solution for us. Let's look at the solution. In Exodus chapter 20, we have this story of the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, of course, these are, these are God's blueprint for life in, in following God. These, these are the blueprints for what God has given to us to live our life, right? The, these are the framework for God's ethics and the way we're supposed to live. When, when we read the Ten Commandments, I'll, I'll get to the fourth one in just a second, which is the Sabbath commandment. We look, of course, the first commandment, don't have any other gods before me. The second commandment, don't, don't make for, an, uh, for yourself an idol, which basically these first two are about worship God and God alone. Don't worship anything else. Make God the central thing in your life, that God is at the core of everything that you do. The third commandment, don't misuse God's name. The fourth commandment, the Sabbath one, we'll read in just a moment. The fifth commandment, honor your mother and your father. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And by the way, I've always loved that those two commandments are next to each other. <laughs> honor your mom and your dad, and we mean by that, don't murder them, right? That's what we mean by that. Honor your parents, don't commit murder. You shall not commit adultery, number seven. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not lie, give false testimony. And number 10, do not covet your neighbor. Now, would you read with me the fourth commandment, which is the commandment at the, at the Sabbath? Would you read with me? Ready? Go. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the aliens within your gates. 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What we find in this Ten Commandments is this invitation to rest, to stop, to breathe, to be present to God. And I'm curious, why in the world have we forgotten about this one? Which, by the way, I I don't know, there's Ten Commandments here. Would any of you say that that whole don't murder thing is just one of those Old Testament commandments you don't need to worry about? Is anybody like that whole adultery thing? Ah, it doesn't matter. It's the 21st century. Do what you want to do. No. Basically, we go through these Ten Commandments, and like nine of them, we're like, that's good stuff. We need that. We need that bad. We need to not murder, not be jealous, love God above all things. We love nine of these commandments. And then we come to the tenth one. We come to the fourth one, which is the one about the Sabbath, and we're like, oh, that's an interesting suggestion. Basically, we have nine commandments and one suggestion. And at what point we thought God was joking around, I don't know when it was. Which, by the way, more often than not, when I talk to people about rest, I I finished writing a book recently that's available here. I spent four or five years researching this book on the Sabbath and speaking all across the world about the Sabbath. And what I found is super interesting. More often than not, when we think about rest and biblical Sabbath, When we think about rest, more often than not, we are informed not by what the Bible has to say, but by really bad cliche. For example, how often have you heard somebody, even a preacher, I've I've even preached this myself, say, I don't need to rest because the devil never rests. And I would say, that's why he's the devil. He's grumpy. He's been running around. The devil never gets a nap. No wonder he's so mean. In fact, by the way, interestingly enough, when you look in the Bible, God is never depicted as being busy. Jesus is never late for anything. You know why? Because you can't be late when you've invented time. He invented it. This was his. The only spiritual entity in the entire Bible that is described as busy is the devil. In Job chapter 1, when the devil comes to God and God says to the devil, where have you been? And he says, I have been running to and fro throughout the earth. The devil is exhausted. Or we say something like this, I don't need to rest because I'll rest when I get to heaven. And the answer is, you'll just know you'll get there faster. (laughs) You're going to make it to heaven indeed, but you're just going to be getting there way too early. See, more often than not, when we think about rest, friends, we don't think about it the way the Bible thinks about it. We think about it the way that we want to think about it. We get these little cliches that frankly just aren't true. For me personally, This whole journey of understanding the Sabbath, of taking a day a week to rest and be with God, all started about 10 years ago. I was a college pastor uh, in Eugene, Oregon, at Eugene Faith Center, which is a church that has had a profound impact on even communities like this. Pastor Wayne came from uh, Eugene Faith Center. And I was a college pastor, and I was working something like 80 to 90 hours a week. And I had a full-on burnout experience. 
at 25 years old. And I started to think about this thing called rest because I didn't have any of it. My marriage was suffering. The church was suffering. The ministry was suffering. I was not doing well. And my wife and I decided we need to start taking a day of rest. And so we started to do this. One day a week, we would stop and just rest. It was insanely brilliant. It's like it's in the Bible. We would take a whole day, we would turn our phones off, and we would just be with each other and with God. We'd eat good food and go on walks. It was incredible. About two years ago, I started to notice that our church in Portland was getting really tired, and I decided, you know what, we need to preach on this. So I preached for three weeks on the Sabbath in our church. Now, by the way, I have preached on things in our church that have made people really upset. I have preached on politics. I've preached on sexuality. I've preached against smoking marijuana because I'm in Portland, and somebody has to tell these people. <laughs> Somebody's got to tell them. I have preached on things that have upset people. I preached for three weeks on the Sabbath, and I've never had more people leave the church. This idea of the Sabbath was so hostile and scary to people. And I think it's because a lot of people, like, their time is their idol. Like, we worship our time. I was sitting in our council meeting of just a few weeks after that, which is the group of people that does finances in our church. And we were sitting around talking about the Sabbath. And I was thinking about these Ten Commandments. And I, I had probably my darkest epiphany I've ever had in my entire life. I was sitting there and talking to the council in our church, and it dawned on me that as a pastor, if I was to break nine of the commandments, if I committed adultery, I'd probably lose my job. If I stole church money, I'd probably lose my job. If I committed murder, I would definitely lose my job. <laughs> but if I don't keep a day of rest, I'll probably get a raise. And you know what, friends? It dawned on me that this is literally the one commandment in the Bible that we celebrate breaking. You know, we used, we used to rest, by the way. When you talk to older people, they will tell you that we used to have these, we literally had laws that made you rest. In, in, in Oregon, we had these things called blue laws, right, where, where literally things would shut down on Sundays. You would go to church in the morning, you would go home, and your parents would take a nap, and then you would eat food. That was the Sabbath. And it was law, like everything. You had to go and rest. Those laws don't exist anymore. I have never, ever met anybody of my generation, and I'm almost a millennial, I've never met anybody who's accidentally kept a Sabbath. Because it's so hard to rest. If you're gonna do it, you have to be intentional about it. You have to be thoughtful about it. We are not a 24-6 world anymore. We're a 24-7 world. In fact, in my 37 years of life, there has only been one day that I can recall that looks anything like a Sabbath where everybody stopped and rested. It was on September 11th, 2001 when the planes flew into those towers into a field in Pennsylvania and into the Pentagon, 
And on that day, everybody stopped flying, went home, and called the people they loved. And honestly, in our culture, the only thing that causes us to rest anymore is tragedy. And I think it breaks God's heart. Because friends, here's the news. I flew all the way from Oregon to tell you this, from rain to more rain. (laughs) I came here to tell you this. God did not create you to be a slave. He created you to be his friend. Now, when you look at the Bible, it it turns out the Bible's actually right, folks. It turns out this book actually knows what it's talking about. When you go to the very beginning of the Bible, right, in creation, Genesis 1 and 2, you have this story of God making the world. When God made everything in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's heartbeat for you and for me. What's really interesting, by the way, is when you compare the creation story in the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2 to the creation stories in all the other religions. Because in the ancient world, there were all these other religions that had creation stories too. The Jews were not the only people who had a creation story. And when you compare It's really interesting, by the way, that there are a ton of similarities between these stories. A lot of similarities. But what is unique are the differences. And here's three things that only the Bible has to say about the way that God made the world. The Bible has three things to say that are unique, that no other religion has to say. Number one, the creation story in the Bible is the only one in which God says everything he makes is good. Have you noticed, by the way, that in the creation story, God can't get through a day of creating without patting himself on the back? He makes something and he's like, that's good. That's good. That's good. He said last day, that's really good. God can't make bad things. He only makes good things. Do you and I mess it up? Absolutely we do. But God makes things really, really good. Everything he makes, he says, is good. Now, when God does that, it's called honesty. When you and I do it, it's called arrogance. God can say everything he makes is good because only God can make all good things. God makes everything good. Do we mess it up with sin? Absolutely we do. I have a a family member who's an agnostic who doesn't believe in God. And we were driving to the airport once, and she said to me, AJ, you've got a PhD in this stuff. What is your greatest argument for the existence of God? And I said, without even blinking, I said, mangoes. You ever had a mango? I mean, you're, this is the island of mangoes, or at least we're... I, I said to Pastor Sheldon before we started, I said, are there mangoes on the island? And he says, let's look out the window. And he's like, right there. They're right here. We're on the island of mangoes. Have you ever had a mango? And not, I'm, listen, I'm from Oregon. Okay, the mangoes in Oregon are not that good because they've been frozen and there's, you know, they've been on, on a boat for nine years and they finally get here. I'm talking, have you had a mango that you literally, you just pull off and you eat it on the spot? And it's one of those mangoes that when you eat it, like the juice, you have to change your shirt afterwards. You ever had a tr- change your shirt mango? Here's, here's what I said. I, I, I'm talking to my, my family members. She goes, I said, mangoes. And I looked at her and I said, I dare you. Eat a mango and tell me there's no God. Because, <laughs> friends, you cannot eat a mango and say there's no God. 
Listen, I ate some food at the Hawaiian-style cafe that proves the existence of God. <laughs> you cannot have a poke bowl and, and be an atheist. It's impossible. Have you walked around and seen the creation? Have you looked at this world? You live in Hawaii. How could there be an atheist here? It is unbelievable. You walk around, and friends, this world, you know what the Bible says in Romans chapter one? That everything God has ever made screams the invisible qualities of God's goodness. You, eat a, you want to know if there's a God, go down to the Hawaii-style cafe and get a poke bowl and tell me there's no God. It's that good. Everything God makes is good. Second thing, the creation story in the Bible is the only one in which women are made in the image of God. You look at all the other religions, and women are seen as mistakes, as footnotes, as unnecessary. That their job is to just get in the get do the work so that the men can do the real stuff. That honestly, the Bible is the only one that says to women, "You were made in God's precious image." There is no religious book in the world that is as affirming of women as this book. In fact, friends, can I just remind you two weeks ago, when we, or last week, whatever, when we celebrated Easter two weeks ago, can I remind you that when Jesus resurrected from the grave, it was the women who came and saw that he had resurrected. And all the dudes were in a room terrified. The women go to the tomb, see he's, it's empty, and come back and tell the guys he is resurrected. Can women preach? We wouldn't know about Easter. The dudes would still be in the room. There is no book in the religious world that says more about the beauty and glory of women than this book. And the third thing is the creation story in the Bible is the only one in which God says you do not need to work seven days a week. I want you to stop and breathe and be with me for one day a week. I mean, friends, we should just be jumping up for joy right now because we literally worship the God who invented the weekend. It's his invention. Can I just point out, by the way, that when God created Adam and Eve on day six in the creation story, God makes all this stuff, day one, day two, day two, and he gets to day six and he makes Adam and Eve, and then on day seven is a day of rest. Can I just point out to you that Adam and Eve's first day of existence was a day of rest? You know what that is? That's the gospel. In fact, the Sabbath is the first image of the gospel in the Bible. Here is why. Because God never says to you and me, get your work done, change your life, stop cussing, go to church, get everything done, and then I love you. That is not the way this God works. This God always says, first, 
I love you, and out of that, let's get our work done. Any message that says to you, you've got to clean up your life before the living God loves you, that is not good news. That is fake good news. The gospel says you are first and foremost standing right here, loved before you've done a lick of repentance. You are loved here and now. And out of that, then we'll get our work done. You see, that's the way God made the world. My son, who's going to be at the 11 o'clock service, my son is six years old. And you remember, when my son was in my wife's womb, can I just point out, you, you know what he did when he was in my wife's womb for nine months? I'm going to tell you what he did. He didn't work. <laughs> he just kicked and screamed quietly for food. That's all he wanted, warmth and food. When he was born... He's six. You know what he's been doing for six years? He's not been working. <laughs> you know what he's been doing for six years? He's been playing Legos and eating my food. That has literally been six years of his life. Can I just point out to you, and he will get a job, I assure you. Pharaoh will make it happen. Don't worry. <laughs> he will get a job. But can I just point out to you that the way God has created the world is you begin your life by enjoying in fact, friends, a few months ago we celebrated Sanctity of Life Sunday, which is the week that we, we talk about the life in a mother's womb and how that life is life. That's not just a bunch of cells, that is life. And I would say, friends, that to end that life is to end the Sabbath of one of God's precious children. way God has made this thing is that we begin by enjoying and then we get to work. It's the gospel. This is the God that we worship. And that God does not want you to live your life as a slave to the system of this world that wants you to burn out. I'm going to tell you, friends, I have more youth pastor friends that are burning out right now than you would ever believe. They are on the verge of quitting Christianity. We have got to think about these things. Because, by the way, can I point out, Jesus rested all the time. Jesus, who was the Son of God, he was God in human flesh. How many times in the Gospels is Jesus portrayed as sleeping? All the time. Now, he's always, it's interesting. He's always sleeping when his disciples are awake, and he's always awake when his disciples are sleeping. In the boat, all the disciples are terrified, and he's in the back snoring on the back of the boat. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is wide awake praying, and all the disciples are asleep. Jesus is always awake when his disciples are sleeping, and he's always sleeping, and he's always awake. But the reason, Jesus rested. Jesus took a day a week and rested. He took a Sabbath. He went to synagogue and rested. And I guess my question is to you, are you better than Jesus? And if you are, let's have a talk after the service. And I will lead you to the Jesus. Because you are not better than Jesus. If even the Son of God needed rest, you do too. There is nothing wrong with rest. Here is the invitation. 
I want you to consider that one day a week, God wants you to stop working and just be with him and be with the people that you love one day a week, just one. Let me tell you what our family does, because I think that might illustrate a little bit how maybe you can do it. How, how does our family keep us up? This is how we do it. Well, the first thing is you've got to identify what day it's going to be, okay? You can't just say, well, we're going to find a day this week and just do it. No, like you have to be crazy intentional about a day of rest. Does the day matter? I actually think that there's two verses in the Bible that make it clear that the day doesn't matter. There's one in Colossians and one in the book of Romans, and both of them basically say it is not the day that matters, it's the fact that you're trying to rest that matters. So whether it's Wednesday or Saturday or Sunday or Monday, honestly, I think the Bible frees us from thinking it has to be a certain day of the week. And I'm going to tell you, praise the Lord that it doesn't have to be Sunday, because as a pastor, there has never been a day in human history where a pastor has gone home from church and gone, well, that was a refreshing experience. (laughs) We get exhausted, right? It's hard work. I'm thankful that Sunday is not the day of rest for pastors, because if it was, we would never rest. We've got to think about what day it's going to be. So what, what my family does is we do Saturday, Friday night to Saturday night. And the first thing I do is I come home on Friday night, and the first thing that I do is I turn my phone off. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is probably the hardest part of keeping a Sabbath. You ever turned your phone off? Nobody's raising their hand. Yeah, that's indicative of our world. Nobody turns our phone off. Now, it's interesting, by the way, when you do turn your phone off, uh, it turns out that there's this uh, iPhone is given this ability that when you press this button on the top for like three seconds, there's a little button on the top, and you hold it down for like three seconds, and it does this thing. It, it turns off. <laughs> but before it turns off, it's really interesting. It flashes a little apple with a bite taken out of it like you're back in the Garden of Eden or something, right? And you've been eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil all week long. You turn that phone off, and it is so scary. The hardest moment in my whole week is just turning my phone off. It's the hardest moment. My fingers, like, trembling, like, oh, what will happen to my life? You turn it off, and I'm terrified of what's going to happen. By the way, I think it's hard to turn your phone off, mostly because when you turn your phone off for a day, you really quickly learn that you are not at the center of the universe. (laughs) Because here's what happens. This is the hardest part. When you turn it back on, this is the hardest part. When you turn it back on, the world's still going. And you realize, oh, like this world doesn't actually depend on me you know what? You're not the Lord of the universe. And you need a reminder to be told that you're not at the center of all things. It's really hard to come back into the world after a day off and realize that God is still at work. Do you remember when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and he came back down and all of God's people were worshiping a golden calf? That is literally why most pastors don't keep a Sabbath. We are terrified about what's going to happen when we're gone. What's more terrifying is not coming down the mountain and seeing everybody worship a golden calf. What's more terrifying is coming down the mountain and seeing everybody worshiping God and realizing we're not as important as we thought we were. 
when you turn your phone back on, you're going to realize, Jesus is Lord. You're not. You're not Lord. You, didn't, you don't run the world. Jesus does. So you turn your phone off, and I'm telling you, it's so hard, but it's so good. So we come home, my family, my wife and I, we're trembling. We turn the phone off, and we, sometimes we just hide it or something. I'll give it to her, and I'll say, put it in the freezer. I don't want to touch it for the next 24 hours. So we'll hide the phone, and then, and then we start on Friday night, we start this thing where, where we light these Sabbath candles. It's an old Jewish tradition. I love this. We get together and we have these candles. And by the time I come home from work, my son's a pyromaniac. So he's already like lit them and blown them out like five times. You know, he's, he loves these. So we got these Sabbath candles. And, and we put the candles on the table and we, and we light the Sabbath candles together. And it signifies the beginning of our Sabbath. And we always sing this song together. There's this old Jewish song that just go, you name everybody in the family. So you go, Shabbat Shalom to Elliot, Shabbat Shalom to Papa, Shabbat Shalom to Quinn. And then Elliot, the six-year-old, will start naming like all the other things in the family. So he's like, Shabbat Shalom to the refrigerator. (laughs) Shabbat Shalom, we've got chicken. Shabbat Shalom to the chickens. Just a couple weeks ago, Shabbat Shalom to my dirty clothes. (laughs) It's so cute, it's so cute. And we'll sing together, we'll sing, and we'll start the Sabbath. And that evening, we'll have this feast. We'll just eat a great feast, and we'll go to bed. And the rule in the morning is when, when we wake up, nobody makes their bed in the morning. And my son loves that. Because <laughs> Pharaoh has been telling him all week long, every morning, make your bed. When nobody makes his bed. And what he does is on the Sabbath morning, it's, it's our liturgy, it's our practice, we do this every week. He comes upstairs and he wakes me up. Quinn, my wife, gets to sleep in. He comes up and gets me. And he gets right up into my face. I'm, I'm not even awake yet. And he gets up into my face. And he goes, Papa, Papa, it's the Sabbath. Right? And his breath is just like, oh. Sabbath. And the word Sabbath requires a lot of breath. So it's like, Sabbath. (laughs) Oh, no. So he just gets right up in my face like, Papa, it's the Sabbath. I'm like, okay. Okay. So I get up out of bed and he just take, we go downstairs and he goes, he knows exactly what we do because we do it every Sabbath morning. We go into the kitchen and my son gets the bowl and he goes into the cabinet and he gets the pancake mix and we make the biggest pancakes you've ever had. They're like this big, <laughs> so big. And we, my son and I, we, and we, and we make, you, you have to do bacon on the Sabbath. And you have to bake it, by the way. You have to bake it. It's in the word, bacon. <laughs> I just liberated some of you. It's a whole new dimension of bacon. So you start making the bacon, right? And my son, we start making these pancakes, and these, these pancakes are just massive. They're just massive. And my wife smells of bacon in the coffee, and she comes down. And on the table, we've got this feast prepared. And my son, man, he just pours maple syrup. I mean, it's just so much maple syrup, these things. It's awesome. And the reason we do the maple syrup is there's this old... Um, There's this old tradition that on the morning of the Sabbath, the Jewish fathers would get up early 
And a Jewish father would get every child in the household a spoon of honey so that they would never forget the sweetness of God's rest. And I know there's going to be a day, you know, 50 years when his dad is dead and gone. And my goal is if anybody in 50 years, anybody even says the word Sabbath around my son, he just starts to drool, right? Because he knows how sweet God's rest is. And I want to tell you, church, the gospel, the Sabbath is not just for you. It's for everyone around you, too. It's for your kids. It's for your wife. It's for your husband. It's for your family. It's for your church. Everyone wins when you take a day of rest. And we sit around that table, man. We just eat pancakes and the, the meal's done. We don't even do the dishes. And we go on a walk and we get in the garden. We go on a hike. And I got to tell you, friends, for 10 years, I've been keeping a Sabbath. And the best way I can describe it is the Sabbath is the closest thing to the Garden of Eden I've ever experienced. Do you need that? Are you tired? Friends, if you're tired, I want you to consider the idea today that God did not create you to live a life of slavery. God created you to be his friends. Jesus said, I have not come to call you servants. I've come to call you friends. And that God wants to take a day a week with you and just stop and be with him and be with the ones you love. Do you need that? If you do, friends, I think God is inviting you into it. Come and eat and taste and see that the Lord is good. So are the pancakes. Come and dine with the Lord. He wants you to rest. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we've taken time this morning to reflect on this biblical, beautiful biblical principle of rest, I've sensed in my own spirit that there are some folks in the room that desperately needed to hear this. In fact, if at any point during the sermon the person next to you elbowed you, that was the Lord's voice for you. That was God speaking to you. You need this. <laughs> you need this. God, we are overworked, we are exhausted, we're tired, and you needed us to hear this morning that we are loved. We are loved. And we are loved enough to rest. We do not need to be workaholics. We are loved enough to rest a day a week and take a day and know that you are Lord and we are not. God, would you help your church rest? Help your church rest, God. Ah, we love you, and we thank you, Jesus, for the work that you're doing in this world. And we pray, may your kingdom come and heal as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come. We worship you, Jesus, above all things. Give your church rest. God, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Would you say amen with me? Amen. amen. Can we say thank you to Pastor AJ? Thank you so much. One of the things that we always learn is that when we entrust God with something that he invented, well, when he entrusts us with something he invented, we will need him for it. And so this morning, I hope you're encouraged by that word. And, and for some of us, we're thinking, thank you, God.
that you spoke that word today because I know some people that really needed to hear that as well as myself that we needed to hear this. But it's almost like now we have permission from God himself to take that time of rest. One day out of the week. One day. So if you're sleeping all day, every day, you can't just be saying, oh, taking the Sabbath. <laughs> it's, there's a balance to that. It's the one day out of the week. God knows what he's doing. But along with that is that we have people that come to church and, and new people that will come to church and they're wondering about this God. On Mother's Day, you get to invite them, take these invitations and let people know about this wonderful God. When you leave here today, you're going to see in our resource center some of AJ's books and please go and visit the resource center. I believe we have four of your books here and uh, I, I, I think it's the mess, uh, Messy. Uh, that one, that's the title. It's called Messy, not that he is. Uh, the way he writes is so unique and pretty much how he preaches that as you're reading, there's that aha moment that comes up. So I would suggest if you want to check out those books, there are four. One is The, uh, the Glorious Dark, uh, Messy. I, I think we have the dusty ones too. And then, of course, the one that he just spoke on, uh, The Subversive Sabbath. So head into the fellowship hall and and uh, go, go check out our resource center. But we want to say thank you so much, Pastor AJ, for being here with us.